Tariq Cohen's good at football. He is. He's also significantly better than Jordan Howard, and that's a problem for Jordan Howard. So many drafted Jordan Howard in rounds one and two. Jordan Howard never made it to round three. That means someone was drafting Jordan Howard, the starting running back for the Chicago Bears, who lacks pass-catching ability, in the first two rounds. The starting running back for a team that was destined to be one of the least efficient offenses one of the lowest point producers in all of football. You can't draft the running back on that team. You just can't. Whether Tariq Cohen exists or not, Tariq Cohen goes to a different team that doesn't change the fact that drafting Jordan Howard in round two, sometimes round one, was a catastrophic mistake. Because think of the opportunity cost. Who could you have drafted instead? Jordy Nelson? Stephon Diggs? <laughs> right? I mean, I'm just going... Rounds later, if you wanted to reach for Stephon Diggs, it would have been a better bet than Jordan Howard. But Tariq Cohen's going to get blamed. That's right. Those that drafted Jordan Howard will say, well, you know, I didn't see this Tariq Cohen ascendance coming. Who could have? Not my fault. Not my fault. I did nothing wrong. Jordan Howard's a stud. I did nothing wrong. Jordan Howard's a stud. I did nothing wrong. Yeah, yeah, no. You did everything wrong. Drafting Jordan Howard in the first two rounds illustrates every mistake that a fantasy drafter can make. Because I think Jordan Howard will outproduce Tariq Cohen easily this year. I don't think Tariq Cohen should have been the number one waiver wire ad, but every single fantasy analyst had Tariq Cohen on top of their list of ads post week one. Every fantasy football publication, let's go down the list. Number one ad. Tariq Cohen, number one ad, Tariq Cohen, number one ad, Tariq Cohen. I disagree because Tariq Cohen will never be the primary back as long as Jordan Howard is healthy. I mean, Jordan Howard's not going away. I don't like Jordan Howard, but he's not going away, right? Chris Carson could be the primary back as early as this week. Kerwin Williams is the primary back. And Javorius Allen led the Ravens backfield in opportunity share last week. And at the very least, Javorius Allen will be catching significantly more passes than Terrence West, even if he's not getting as many carries as Terrence West. So I think Javorius Allen is the more valuable asset in that backfield than Terrence West. And I think he'll score more fantasy points for the rest of the season than Tariq Cohen. Because at the end of the day, Tariq Cohen is 180 pounds. Even though he was a workhorse at North Carolina A&T, I don't see him being a workhorse at the NFL level. Was Darren Sproles ever a workhorse? No, Darren Sproles was absolutely a bell cow back at Kansas State. 34.1%, 72nd percentile college dominator for Darren Sproles. The reason why Darren Sproles was such a phenomenal prospect is that like Danny Woodhead, he had high-end satellite back skills coming from a bell cow role at the college level. We talked about this with Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones looks like an NFL satellite back, but he has that workhorse pedigree we look for. We don't expect Aaron Jones to ever become a primary back, getting 80% opportunity share. That's a pipe dream. But you like to see the guys with the great pass-catching skills that also demonstrated an ability to withstand a huge workload at the college level. That's Darren Sproles. That's Aaron Jones. But that's also Tariq Cohen. It's very interesting that Tariq Cohen logged a 40% college dominator, 87th percentile at North Carolina A&T. And his profile is strikingly similar to Darren Sproles. We just don't know Tariq Cohen's agility. Watching him, you gotta think Tariq Cohen's one of the more agile running backs in the NFL. If that is true, then he is 
a direct comparison with Darren Sproles. One of the closer comparisons in the playerprofiler.com database. Tariq Cohen, Darren Sproles, Darren Sproles, Tariq Cohen. They both have the 4-4-5-40 time. They lack burst, but undoubtedly have exceptional agility and were workhorses at the college level and efficient at the college level too. Darren Sproles, 6.0 yards per carry. Tariq Cohen at a smaller school, 7.2 yards per carry. But when you look at the splits from week one, it's difficult to project Tariq Cohen to be a top 40 running back week in, week out. Certainly, he'll be in the top 40 when the Bears play prolific offenses, when the Bears play the Packers, for example. Sure, but if you believe the Bears are going to be winning the game or at least competitive, it's much more difficult to project Tariq Cohen to be fantasy relevant. I mean, last week, the Bears had a run-to-pass ratio of 27% to 73% when trailing. It was 37% to 63% when tied, and when even, 42%, 58%, which is league average. On average, teams are throwing the ball 20% more than they're running it. And that's what the Bears were doing when the game was competitive. When the game was out of hand, that's when the pass-to-run ratio skewed, and that's when you saw Tariq Cohen garner more snaps and targets and production. The game's not always going to flow like that, but there will be plenty of games where we can expect Tariq Cohen to be productive. It's going to look something like the New England backfield, where you just knew when it was going to be a blunt game versus a Vereen game in Chicago. We'll know. Is it a Tariq Cohen game or is it a Jordan Howard game? And that has to be heartbreaking to Jordan Howard owners because you didn't draft Jordan Howard in rounds one or two to be a situational running back week to week. Right? But that's why we weren't drafting Jordan Howard, because when the Bears face Atlanta, and when the Bears face Green Bay, and now when the Bears face elite offense Minnesota Vikings, Jordan Howard has no role. He's not going to get enough carries in high leverage situations to be usable. You just bench him against those teams. They're playing a prolific offense, but you bench Jordan Howard. I can't believe it. This has already happened. Just week one, we already know there's going to be plenty of games we were recommending, hey, bench Jordan Howard. Just based on game plan, you're going to have to go ahead and bench Jordan Howard. And we have a new metric on playerprofiler.com, game script. We have a lot of new metrics. Lots and lots and lots of new metrics. Just on the running back pages, we have goal line carries, yards created, game script, dominator rating. Check it out. It's cool. Game script's big. Negative 4.5 game script for the Chicago Bears last week. It's actually better than expected because they were playing Super Bowl runner-up Atlanta Falcons, who had the second most efficient offense in the league last year, and they improved the defense in the offseason. So the Chicago Bears were surprisingly competitive. Why? Tariq Cohen. The issue is I don't know what his volume is going to be week to week. What I do know is last week, the Bears faced Atlanta, who allowed the most catches to running backs in the NFL last season. And they targeted Tariq Cohen 12 times. 12 times after they lost their number one wide receiver, Kevin White. But that's not that, that's just not even close to sustainable, right? Especially when you zoom out and you see, oh wait, Tariq Cohen received zero targets all of preseason. You would think that if it was part of the game plan to get the ball to Tariq Cohen, they would have been throwing it to him in preseason. Or perhaps they viewed him as such a special weapon that they didn't want to show the NFL what they had in Tariq Cohen in the preseason, that they wanted to unveil him in week one. And if that was the plan, wow, very smart 
gamesmanship, slow playing Tariq Cohen in preseason. If that was the plan, I mean, wow. Good job, Chicago Bears. I take it all back. I take it all back, John Fox. You're smart. KG. KG veteran. John Fox. But I don't believe that John Fox is a KG veteran. I think that the Chicago Bears will install a new game plan where they know who the receivers are going to be. Kendall Wright and a bunch of guys. And that the odds of Tariq Cohen even receiving five targets is less than 50%. This is not a player you can rely on week in, week out. He is Darren Sproles. And I believe they will install him in a Darren Sproles role. And that's exciting in a vacuum, right? But he's on the Bears. So just like Jordan Howard, Tariq Cohen is going to suffer under the tyranny of this Bears offense that cannot matriculate the ball downfield. It's Mike Glennon. It's Mike Glennon with no receivers. So some of the arguments against Jordan Howard apply to Tariq Cohen. That's why I did not have him as a top running back ad from the waiver wire this week. For me, it was all about Kerwin Williams, the named starter in place of David Johnson, and Javorius Allen, a satellite back plus on a better offense. Not much better, but slightly better. So you can either have the satellite back on the abysmal offense, or you can have the satellite back plus on the mediocre offense. I'll take the satellite back plus on the mediocre offense every time. And I want to see what Tariq Cohen's usage looks like this week. I'd like at least two weeks of usage before we can start projecting significant target volume for Tariq Cohen. I think that's fair. Because Darren Sproles was on the Chargers and the New Orleans Saints. Chargers, Saints, Chargers, Saints. Those are prolific offenses with Phillip Rivers and Drew Brees. That's a different story. If you're a satellite back on the Chargers or the Saints, absolutely, you're an every week RB2. That's what Darren Sproles has been throughout his career. But Tariq Cohen's not on the Saints. If Tariq Cohen were on the Saints, yes, absolutely, yes. If he and Alvin Kamara switch places, we would like Tariq Cohen significantly more than Alvin Kamara, but they're not switched. They're on the teams they're on. And if they're on the teams they're on, you'd prefer Alvin Kamara. But above all, you want Kerwin Williams. That's clear. He is the starter, and he also was an undersized bell cow back at Utah State. So he's fast, runs a sub 4.5040, average burst and agility, and he finished out his career at Utah State with a 1,500-yard, 15-touchdown season. That's a guy that can carry the load for an NFL team. Get Kerwin Williams. He should be the number one priority this week. And again, you didn't need a show to come out on Monday to tell you this. Those of you that have been paying attention to this show and playerprofiler.com can go to the Kerwin Williams webpage and see, oh wow, so this guy is going to be the primary back for the Arizona Cardinals? This is the guy to get this week, not Tariq Cohen. But in some leagues, you couldn't get Kerwin Williams. Why? Because the David Johnson owner handcuffed him. Handcuffed him with Kerwin Williams. I mean, talk about a blind squirrel finding a nut. The guy that handcuffs David Johnson with Kerwin Williams is the definition of a blind squirrel. We need to be teaching these blind squirrels how to see. We need to be opening eyes, shining a light, where the squirrel looks up one day and just thinks, Ah, this is what the sun looks like. The blue sky. The grass is so green. Right? We need to prophetize. We need to advocate over and over and over and over and over again the abandonment of the pure handcuff. And we're trying. We've mentioned it on countless shows. You shouldn't be drafting James Conner 
or Darren McFadden or any of these other pure handcuff backs. Why? Because A, the likelihood that a running back will experience a season-ending injury is relatively low. And B, our certainty around who the actual handcuff is and what that handcuff's opportunity share will be is extremely low. So given those two facts, drafting handcuffs doesn't make sense. And we saw it in Tariq Cohen. When you were drafting James Conner, you should have been drafting Tariq Cohen instead because Tariq Cohen is a far superior talent to James Conner. And Tariq Cohen has standalone value. He's not merely a handcuff. So Tariq Cohen was the play, not James Conner. I mean, the Tariq Cohen breakout perfectly illustrates why handcuffing doesn't make sense because no one was drafting Tariq Cohen to handcuff Jordan Howard. That wasn't a thing that anyone did. Those that drafted Tariq Cohen drafted him because there was potential for standalone value from an incredibly talented back, one of the most talented backs in this draft class. The only back to ever comp to Darren Sproles on playerprofiler.com. But unfortunately, we are preaching into a headwind. That headwind is named Sigmund Bloom from Football Guys because Sigmund Bloom writes, two sneaky under-the-radar pickups this week, Sharkhandrick West and Chris Ivory. Both would inherit choice situations if the starter gets injured. Oh, God. No. No. Why? 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 We've come so far. Why is anyone picking up Chris Ivory in a redraft league? Why? The probability of either of those running backs being fantasy viable is small. Very, very small. Neither one of them are any good to start. And Chris Ivory especially. And Chris Ivory isn't even on a good team. It's on the Jaguars. Why on earth would anyone roster a sub-replacement player with no role on one of the NFL's worst offenses? I mean, explain this to me. Explain it. I know the explanation. Handcuff. Oh, Fournette might get injured. Yeah, anyone could get injured. Yes, that's true. How productive would Chris Ivory be operating in the Jaguars offense even if Leonard Fournette goes down? I don't know how efficient he would be. I don't know what his opportunity share would be. Maybe the actual handcuff is TJ Yeldon. Maybe TJ Yeldon's opportunity share or Corey Grant's opportunity share would be greater than Chris Ivory's in the event of a Leonard Fournette injury. I don't know! So because I don't know, I'm not even thinking. Not one brain cell, not one neuron is firing in my brain with the consideration of Chris Ivory on the waiver wire. At least Sharkandrick West is on the Chiefs and their offense looks above average. But other than that, there's no reason to pick up Sharkandrick West. It's just a scratch ticket. Picking up pure handcuffs is just a scratch ticket, and scratch tickets are a scam. Scratch tickets are such a scam, private enterprises aren't even allowed to offer them. They have to be offered by the state because they're such a ripoff. That's the handcuff back. That's Sharkhandrick West. That's Chris Ivory. So I disagree that those two backs should be targets for any team, even Kareem Hunt owners should be ignoring the existence of Sharkhandrick West. But every year, a David Johnson goes down. And the owner of the Kerwin-Williams scratch ticket feels like a genius, feels like a big winner. The problem is that by winning in the short run on Kerwin-Williams, in the long run, you've guaranteed yourself losses. Because the Kerwin-Williams owner will be handcuffing every top back 
from now until 2025, just absorbing dead roster space for a decade, the hidden cost of the dead roster space will loom over all the Kerwin Williams owners, all those that handcuffed David Johnson before the season. I mean, they don't even know it yet. I mean, they feel smart. They feel fortunate, but they are fucked. And then they read the Sigmund Bloom tweet and it just confirms what they believe to be a sound tactic, which is drafting pure handcuffs. Poor guy. <laughs> Poor David Johnson, Kerwin Williams owner. That guy will be handcuffing straight to 10th place in his leagues for the next 10 years. You know who else loves handcuffs? Michael Rappaport. Oh, I guarantee Michael Rappaport loves handcuffs. Whatever is the worst strategy to employ, whatever tactics are the least rational, I guarantee you that's what Michael Rappaport thinks is the path to victory. Because I thought we were done with Michael Rappaport. It was a beautiful, sunny day in Connecticut when I heard that Michael Rappaport was going to Barstool Sports and we would be rid of him in this fantasy community. His tenure here as a fantasy expert, in quotes, was one of the more pathetic and shameful experiments that I've witnessed in my time in this business. But you see him popping up on fantasy shows still, continuing to dip his toe in the fantasy football waters and masquerade as if he knows anything. And one of the show minions spoke up and said, hey, your existence illustrates everything that's wrong in the fantasy football industry because there are analysts with 10 times your ability who are not getting your opportunities. And that's a shame. And the listener added my Twitter handle because why not just lob me into this, right? Happy to start a beef with Michael Rappaport, but I've been very busy in case you didn't realize, we talked about the new metrics being added to running backs. We're adding twice as many metrics to quarterbacks and wide receivers. Look at the quarterback. Supporting cast efficiency, protection rate, money throws, interceptable passes, danger plays, play action pass, completion percentage, adjusted yards per attempt, true completion percentage, factoring in drops and voided pass throwaways, true passer rating, doing the same, receiver target separation, receiver drops, receiver contested catch percentage, receiver yak. All new fields for quarterbacks. How about wide receivers? Yards per pass route. Catchable target rate. Dominator rating. QB rating when targeted. Total target distance, which some people call air yards. Target separation. Fantasy points per pass route. End zone targets. End zone target share. Route participation. So on and on. The team at playerprofiler.com delivering these numbers are heroes. And I've been very busy helping to guide this enterprise, and in particular, this initiative, putting us in a position to become an authority in advanced stats and metrics for football. So I've been a little busy. No time to beef with one Michael Rappaport, but he wanted to beef. Oh, he wanted to. Yeah. He replied and said, let's dance, and invited me to join him in a head-to-head DraftKings contest. And I just laughed. I laughed and laughed. When I saw that tweet from him, I erupted in laughter. Like it came from deep, deep, deep in my belly because it was just perfect. It was so perfect. In that reply, he perfectly illustrated why I have lamented his existence on this show for months. He doesn't get it. He thinks you can distill a fantasy analyst's ability down to a one-week DraftKings contest. Like, that's where his head's at. That's what's in his headspace. I'll prove my ability. Let's play head-to-head on DraftKings. <laughs> what? So that exchange just made my brain hurt. 
And I just shook my head and moved on down my mentions. And in those mentions, follow me at fantasy underscore mansion, of course, was an incredibly intriguing bit of news. Joe Flacco was quoted mentioning a particular quick little guy on the Ravens roster who can, quote, do stuff on the side, end quote, and potentially step up and fill the void created by Danny Woodhead. This was the most interesting player quote I've read in years because Joe Flacco was alluding to an expanded role on offense for... Campanaro! 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 It's the little bug robot signal! I heard it! I heard it! Campanaro! <laughs> 